Turn again now to Colossians chapter 1 and reading at verse number 9. The letter of Paul to Colossians chapter number 1 and at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so on down into verse number 13. We continue to reflect on the prayers of Paul as we have them in his letters. And when we do read about Paul's prayers, we see the way in which he understands, first of all, what redemption, what salvation means. And from his encounter with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, an encounter which he describes as seeing the light of the knowledge of God's glory in Jesus Christ, from that moment he has had an insight into the work of redemption that perhaps none of the other New Testament writers did receive. And along with that, it's remarkable the way in which he understands the needs of those to whom he writes. He understands the heart of God and he understands the human heart and he understands the heart of the child of God. When we come to this letter, uh, we come to a letter that Paul writes to a church that he did not found himself, a church that we understand from the words that we have here in verse 4, for example, since we heard of your faith, it's a church that he has not visited but he has received news of God's work in their midst from Epaphras, and it seems from the letter itself that Epaphras, who was one of themselves, was the person who brought the gospel to this people first of all. And so he is praying for a people that he has never seen, but yet he still understands their needs and understands what the gospel means to them. And when we Uh, take note of that we do have an index of how big Paul's mind is Uh, and for our own prayers we we can reflect on them and compare them to the prayers of the Bible and uh, to see where in that index we find ourselves in comparison to these prayers in comparison to prayers in other parts of the Bible and to see indeed what we need to learn from the prayers that we have in the Word of God. And so tonight we want to look at this prayer of Paul for this church, the church that he did not find found himself, a church that he did not know personally, but that church that he understands their needs because we read through the letter and there is a real threat to their faith and it comes from uh, what he describes as a philosophy of vain deceit that they will be carried away from the gospel. He understands the threat, he understands their needs, he understands the gospel, and so he is ready to pray for them. And from verse 9, we want to see his prayer here, and prayer and the stepping stones to Christian assurance. We want to see that what he is praying for is to lead them on the way so that they will come to grasp fully their salvation in Christ and find the joy of that assurance 
as they journey on. And surely that's something that we desire and long for ourselves, that we will come to that place together where we are filled with the assurance of faith and joy in God's salvation. One and see, first of all, that he prays for attainment. He wants them to reach a certain level. And that's what he begins with in verse number 9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He is asking for them to attain a certain level of the knowledge of the will of God, which they don't yet have. And when he speaks in such glowing terms in the first part of the chapter, we are perhaps surprised that he prays for this because he is giving thanks for the way in which they are bearing fruit, the way in which they are increasing, and the way in which the truth of the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives. They are developing in their faith. They are growing in their knowledge of Christ. He speaks of them in glowing terms. And yet, he sees that I need to, to fill up what is absent or what's missing from their knowledge of the will of God. And it reminds us that no matter where we are on, on our journey as the children of God, that there is always capacity for more. And sadly so often that capacity that we have for more of the knowledge of the will of God is a capacity that becomes filled with other things so that we never attain to, to what we should be attaining to as the children of God. And Paul is very conscious that they are open to that feeling and he is also very conscious that they are open to the philosophy that is around them and the possibility that that gap in their understanding will be filled by false things which will lead them away from the gospel and from faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And he, he prays then that they will be filled up to a full measure of the knowledge of the will of God. And when he's praying for their knowledge of the will of God, he is praying for an intense sense of personal experience of the will of God. It's more than simply learning the words and learning perhaps the doctrine itself. It's beyond that and goes down into the depths of their heart and of their experience. And that's a wonderful prayer. That whatever knowledge we have of the Bible, whatever knowledge we have of the will of God, that may fill our minds and our thinking for us to pray that that, that knowledge will become part of our experience because unless it becomes part of our experience, it's not going to change us. It has to come from our intellect, our minds, into our very hearts and there be be mixed with the love of God and bring about change in our lives. So it's being filled with an experiential knowledge of the will of God. And we can ask what exactly is the will of God. And when we come to think of the will of God, it's the will of God from two particular angles. And first of all, that is the will of God 
in the way in which God has made known himself in Christ Jesus. In his decrees that are worked out in the passion of Christ, in his decrees that are worked out in the world around us, it's understanding the will of God as far as the purposes of God are concerned and what he has achieved in the passion of his Son. And along with that, there is the will of God in the, in the sense of what God requires of you and of me, what he prescribes for us, what he expects our obedience. And so there is a completeness of, in the sense of what Paul is praying for here. He is praying for knowledge that will become experiential that we in their hearts. He is praying for knowledge of, of what God has purposed and fulfilled in Christ Jesus and what God requires of them. It's so comprehensive. It captures everything in that simple phrase, that petition that he offers in his prayer for them. And for ourselves tonight, it, it captures for us what we need to know with regard to the gospel. We need to hear this prayer and offer this prayer and understand what it's asking for and see the way in which this is exactly what we need for ourselves. To be filled in this sense, to be filled with the fullness of what God has done in Christ Jesus in whom the fullness of God dwells and what the law of God requires uh, and as we go on to see, that, that, that means that this is knowledge of God that's going to bring about change in their lives, that's going to help them to live as the people of God. It's what they needed. It's what we need every day. What every child of God needs is this kind of filling up and this kind of attainment of the knowledge of God to equip them for Christian living. And as the petition goes on, that's exactly what, what Paul is praying for, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here he says, it's the knowledge of the will of God. Let's uncap that. Let's see what that involves. And what it does involve is Spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's understanding, first of all, in the, in the sense that it is them being able to piece all of what they know of the knowledge of God, piece it all together. And piece it all together in such a, a structured way as to order it in their minds and to see the way in which it impacts upon their lives. It is spiritual understanding. And we, we read Paul in First Corinthians, for example, and he makes it quite clear in, in chapter number 2 that, that the understanding that they have is an understanding that comes from the Spirit of God. It's, he is the Spirit of truth. He is a Spirit that guides into all truth. And what God has hidden in his mystery down through the generations of the Old Testament is what God now reveals by his Holy Spirit. And so he is recognizing that they are the children of God. He is recognizing that the Spirit of God is in their hearts. And he is recognizing that they have that understanding now of what God has done for them in the gospel 
because of the Spirit's work in their lives. But along with that, they have the spiritual wisdom. And we may ask what exactly wisdom means. It does mean in the Old Testament that the sense of having the ability to be successful, that is, having wisdom from God to use the knowledge that we have in order to live life in the way that God requires. And there are two particular ways in which we see wisdom in the Old Testament. And the first of these is for building God's tabernacle. It's for God's tent building. And we see in the words given to, to, to Moses that God gave to Bezalel in Exodus 31. He gave him, he filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with uh, craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, and so on and so on. In other words, he gave him wisdom to build a place, a tent for God to dwell in. And that's full of meaning for you and for me tonight. What is the spiritual wisdom? It's the wisdom through which I'm going to take all of the knowledge that God gives to me, and my life is going to be like a tent in this world in which God dwells and in which I live my life before this world on my journey to be with God. It's wisdom for life tent building so that my life corresponds to what God requires. And the other way in which wisdom is brought before us in the Old Testament is, is in First Kings 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 and 8. It's for kingdom building. And so this wisdom is not just about building my life in such a way as to, to correspond to what God requires. It's also about being part of the kingdom of God. So that this life that I have, it's not individualistic. It's not for me to live it on my own. It's a life which I live in the kingdom of God. It's a life which I live for the king of God's kingdom. It's a life that's lived with the express purpose of having a life that is honoring to God, a life that shows that the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts, a life in which I walk and where my life is conformed to all that God prescribes. And that's the attainment. He prays all of this knowledge for them so that they may have this spiritual wisdom and understanding to make them what God wants them to be, to make them complete, to live their lives in that tent-like way and in that kingdom-like way. And that is the, the complete way in which God wants us tonight to understand what this prayer is for for ourselves. That it, it, it captures everything that God has done and said. It takes into the whole of our lives and it gives to us all that we need to live for God. And when that does happen, it does not mean to say that we are going to sit or stand anywhere and say, I have everything that I need. I can now do this because God has given me this. That's not how it works. It brings about the kind of change in life 
through which there's that walking with God, that filling of the Spirit of God, and that constantly changing life that comes more and more like what the Word of God says we should be like. Uh, Let's not think that when this petition is answered that everything is going to, to be so clear in our own minds that we see no need for more. That's simply not the way it works. The prayer for attainment is God only in our minds, is God also in our hearts. Has his word affected our life's experience to such an extent that we are determined every day to have a tent for God and to have our lives be in the kind of place in which God dwells and everybody knows that's what our lives are for. So there is the attainment. And flowing on from that, there is then the alignment of their lives. What happens when they are so conformed to what God requires, so, so understanding of what God requires, it does mean that they then, in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's another capturing of an Old Testament idea of our lives being like, like a walking with God. And here, all that, all that is going to work out in their, in their lives, they're going to live a life in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And the life that is worthy is one, one that's placed in the balances by God. And placed in the balances by God and found to be what God requires. It's a life that's worthy And it's a life that's worthy of the Lord. And the question that arises with regard to that phrase is, is this worthiness something that's in the eyes of God and something that's in light of God's assessment? Or is it now a life that's worthy to receive the Lord? And surely both things are true. Who is going to say that our lives are worthy? Who is going to put us in the balances? God will do that himself. And God will place our lives against all that he has prescribed for us in his word. He will place our lives in the balances and he will say that we're worthy. And when that happens, that worthiness declared by God, is in itself the door that opens God, our lives for God to come into our lives. And we see another dimension of, of the whole sense of this worthiness, that God comes into our lives when we reach this moment that he comes in in a way in which he was not there before. And if we're seeking the Lord tonight, and if we're praying to God for, for his salvation, here is where we want to be at. We want to be in the place where, in the eyes of God, this door opens for himself. 
and he comes into our lives. And it's a prayer that goes not only in stepping stones to assurance, but it goes in stepping stones in the heights to which Paul understands their need and to the heights to which Paul wants to bring them. And for you and, and I tonight to, to have that sense of the door is open and God has come in because God has measured in the balances and because God has worked in answer to prayer to bring us to this very point. It's a life that's aligned to the word of God and to the law of God. And because of that alignment, it's trying to align anything at all that that needs alignment before it clicks into place. And when this alignment takes place, then God comes in in a way that he hasn't before. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit. God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fruit bearing is a creation theme. When we come into the New Testament, fruit bearing is a new creation theme. And as soon as we see Jesus rising from the dead, he himself is the first fruits from the dead. And we hear Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 15, where he reminds them that he is the true vine. And where he reminds them that unless they as branches abide in him, they cannot bear fruit. But if they do abide in him and bear fruit, the vine dresser, the father will work so that they will bear more fruit. And so they, they are new creation children who are bearing the fruit of the, the work of, of Jesus Christ in, in rescuing them from their sins and bringing them to the place of forgiveness of sin and, and filling their hearts and lives with the Spirit and the Spirit that bears fruit. They are producing fruit in every good work. The works that are in accordance with God's purpose. The works that reflect the work of God. There is a pattern in life that, that corresponds to, to what God has said they should be. And so as, as Jesus said to the disciples on the Sermon on the Mount... Let your light shine forth before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says something similar in Luke chapter 6 where he speaks of the good passion out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good works. It's what the child of God does by the help of the Spirit of God and doing so in the light of this progress and of this development, a life that is aligned not only with the direction in which God wants the people of God to live, but also aligned with the characteristics that, that reflect that here is a fruit-bearing child of God, a new creation child of God, 
in whom the Spirit of God dwells, and who is bearing forth fruit to the glory of God. It is an alignment. And for ourselves together this evening, this is what we pray for, for each other. Wherever we are on, on, on our journey walking through life, wherever we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, if we are not in a relationship of faith with him, then our prayer is that such a person will have the same encounter that Paul had with the person of Jesus, that the light of the glory of God will, will shine in the heart, that the Spirit of God will come to dwell, that this process of learning and of, of knowing and of experiencing and of living out will commence. That's our prayer together for, for all those who tonight do not know the Lord Jesus. But it's also a prayer for each other, for those who are already the children of God, that there will be such an alignment that is pleasing to God, that God declares to be worthy of his presence. And praying that for our personal benefit and experience, but also praying that for the witness of the gospel for the work of, of God's kingdom so that we will be kept and preserved from any kind of false doctrine that may come in to invade our thinking and to mean that, that our love will become cold to have that kind of life. And as Don Carson says in writing and commenting on this prayer, he speaks of the way in which there is a never-growing cycle of obedience. That when we come to this level of, of knowing God, that it induces within us that sense of wanting to live in our obedience. And the more we live in obedience, the more we desire more of the, this knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God. And so it's a, it's a cycle that leads to more and more obedience more and more knowledge of God, and more and more development as the child of God. It's learning to be disciples, and it's growing in that cycle that takes us forward more and more on our journey as the children of God. So there is attainment, there is alignment, and thirdly, there is assurance. In verse number 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Their life is filled with power. It is the glorious might of God. It is the might of the glory of God. It is the power that comes from a sense of all that God is coming into our lives and filling us with a sense of the power and the glory of God. And so the glorious might 
is perhaps better to read as the might of the glory of God and all of that that God is in his glory revealed to us in Christ Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts it is that power that then enables them to do what they what he was fearing they would not do it enables them to do to persevere it is power to endure and power for patience with all joy. That sense of being able to remain under the pressure of living as a Christian in Colossae with all that was happening. And there is always that pressure on you and on me as the, the children of God in our own world today that is that, that pressure that, that wants to lead us away from the gospel, that pressure that leaves us with a constant need of the strength that enables us, in a sense, to, to carry the burden and to withstand the hardship and the power that enables us, as Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be saved. It's that power that comes from the glory of God and that enables us to endure with all patience. Self-restraint. It's part of God changing us. It's part of what we call the process of sanctification. It's part of God transforming us into what we should be. Not only do we endure, carry on under the constant pressure, but we also exercise self-restraint. We hold ourselves back in relation to how we respond and how we behave in relation to others. And that's so important for them in Colossae with what they were, were confronted with. They must persevere in the truth, but they may, must also exercise restraint in the relationships with others so that the impact of the gospel is not lessened and so that the power of the gospel is not dissipated away from where it should be working out. And so it is, it is the, the assurance of his power that enables them to carry on in their Christ-like living despite what's happening around them. And together we, we all need that kind of endurance, that power to enable us to endure. When we start flagging, when, in the words of the writer of the Hebrews, when, when we get wobbly on our knees, we drop our hands, and when we, we are in danger of, of simply giving up because of the constant pressure on our faith, we know what it's like to, to get to that point. I'm sure all of us at some time in life have come to that point where we feel it's not possible to continue any longer. But, but here is the assurance that when our lives are aligned, after we have attained this level of wisdom and understanding that when that happens God's power comes and it shapes the direction that we take 
in enabling us to, to walk a straight line under pressure. And it also shapes how we respond to every kind of opposition and to every kind of false teaching and able to do so with the restraint that also reflects that we are the children of God and that we are Christ-like in our relationships with others. And that assurance of power is at last the assurance of their eternal inheritance. He has taken them through these stepping stones and then in verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks to God. Showing yourselves grateful for what God has done. A thankfulness that arises out of where God has taken us in the petitions of this prayer. A thankfulness that understands not only all that God has done, but also that understands all that God will yet do. And when you read down through these verses that speak of assurance, there is a future sense to their assurance that they know that God has qualified them, made them worthy, put them in the balances, that that God has, has so worked to ensure that they will attain the goal and that nothing can separate them from his love. God has made them sufficient to carry on to the very end and to go to enjoy their eternal inheritance. And that's a great cause of thanksgiving. That level of assurance that we're going to be with Jesus, that we're going to experience the fullness of his inheritance and that God will take us safely there because he has made us sufficient for every step of the journey and that sufficiency will take us in to his presence and take us into his presence in such a way as to, to sing the, the song of the Lamb when we arrive around the throne that he is worthy as the Lamb who was slain of all our praise a sense of certainty as to where we are going and there is a beauty as well as a joy and as well as a comfort in having that kind of assurance of all of us together tonight knew for sure that we are going to heaven and we firmly believe that in our hearts because of our experience of the grace of God, then that would be transforming. Then that would leave us all singing your last psalm in a way that we haven't sung perhaps for a long time. It would lift our hearts. It would show that the joy is in here and not just something that is in our lips. And that assurance of where we are going is based on the fact that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. He anchors, this process anchors our assurance in what God has done in Christ already, what he has done in our lives in the past, and also in where he will bring his people. And it's the full assurance of faith in the sense that it's the assurance of what Christ has done for me. It's the assurance of God's grace in my own life. And it's the assurance of guaranteed glory at the end. Prayer and the stepping stones to Christian assurance. Should we not pray this prayer together? Is this not what we desire for each other? Let's take the example of Paul and let's take his knowledge of, of, of human experience and of Christian experience and let's pray with them and let's watch one another going on these same stepping stones and reaching this pinnacle of assurance that will enable us to live every day faithfully in the gospel. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do rejoice in you in all that you have done in all that you are doing in the lives of your children. We do pray to you that you will bring all of us on in our walk with you, giving to us that knowledge of your will, giving to us that uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding, giving to, uh, giving to us that life which is pleasing to you, and giving us that thankfulness in our hearts and joy in you at the thought of what you have done and what you will yet do, and so strengthen us in our faith, in our journey along uh, life's way together we do pray. Hear our prayer we ask and bless your word for Jesus' sake. Amen.